You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. So much, Veronica. The kids are going back to junior church now. Nehemiah chapter number 9. Well, praise the Lord. Well, beautiful singing. What a beautiful message today. And, uh, you know, today is the first day of Thanksgiving week, which reminds me that we, this coming Wednesday, we forgot to mention, we always have a Thanksgiving service the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And it's, uh, uh, it's, it's much like a normal Wednesday service, but there's just a little bit more emphasis on the Thanksgiving and giving testimony about the goodness of God. So if you could be here, 7 o'clock on Wednesday night, we'll be having a special Thanksgiving service, so be, please be mindful of that. And I believe it's a glorious time to reflect on the goodness of God. And we talked much about the goodness of God last week. We talked about how that God's goodness is revealed in all that He has done. His greatness is seen in the fact that He's God alone. In Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 6, the Bible says, Thou, even thou, art Lord alone. He is the one God, but He's also good and great in His creation. Verse, as it continues, Thou hast made heaven and the heaven of heavens with all their hosts and the earth and the things that are therein, the seas and all that, are, that is therein, and thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worshipeth thee. So we saw that God's goodness is seen in the fact that He created the universe, but also His goodness is seen in the fact that He sustains and, and His providential care for creation. Man, we talked about how that every day, and I hope this week, if you were here last week, that you've reflected more on the goodness of God than you did the week before. I mean, every time you wake up in the morning, every one of these mornings that you've woke up in, in, a, in, in a sheltered house, right, with heat, and you've got up, because I, I had the picture last week about how I can be. I wake up in a, in, from a comfortable bed, sleeping next to my beautiful wife. I get up and I go downstairs and I, and I put the coffee on and I, and I open up the refrigerator and I begin to get out my breakfast and, and I'm going through all this stuff. I'm seeing my children around and I'm, and, and I'm enjoying the, and, and the, the blessings of the Lord are all around me. But yet we can do all of that while we grumble and while we complain. And I'm afraid that many times as at our core, what we addressed last week is at our core sometimes we question the goodness of God. And that is evidenced by one singular fact, our murmuring and complaining, our belly aching and our whining, shows us that our, at our core, we're conflicted about whether God is good or not. But that was more last week's message. But the fact that God is good. Here's what the Bible says in Psalm 145, verse 16. This verse could sum up much of what we said last week. Thou openest thine hand and satisfy us the desire of every living thing. Folks, God is good. God is good. He's a good God. All, you think about this. In creation, all that God made, He geared, even, even the position of our earth within our solar system is positioned that it might benefit man and uh, all life on earth. Everything on earth He has done. The way He created us is to be a blessing to us because He is good. All creation is geared to bless mankind. He's good in creation, we saw last week. 
We also saw that he is good in salvation. And picking up in verse number 8, I'm just going to hit some highlights from verse number 8 down to 15. And then I'll read some more in just a moment. But a a couple things that that they begin to rehearse here. The people of God, remember, they were turning back to God. and, And they were looking to see what God was presently doing. The work that He was doing in their lives here in the book of Nehemiah. And they're being reminded of some of the things that God had done for them. In verse 8, it speaks about how that God made a covenant with Abraham. In verse number 8, it reminds them that God performed the words that He said that God has kept His promises to the nation of Israel. And I want to say, I'm not just preaching about the nation of Israel when I say that God's made some promises and kept promises, because that applies to us today as well, doesn't it? God does not break His word. So it says that He said what He would do. He performed His words. In verse 9, it talks about how he saw and he heard the affliction of the children of Israel down in Egypt. And it goes on to say in verse 10 how, that he, how he delivered them and he showed signs and wonders because he knew that the, the Egyptians dealt proudly. In verse 11, he spoke about how God divided the sea and how that through the blood of the Lamb they were delivered from that land. And he says how that, they, how that God defeated the Egyptians for them. I mean, the miraculous things that God did in bringing them to the place where they were. And we're no different, beloved. We are brought to the place we are today because of the great hand of God in our lives. God has done great things. He's done miracles in our lives as well. He continues on. He said, not only did you open up the Red Sea, but you led them through the desert, through the wilderness. You led them by day by a cloudy pillar that gave them shade. And in the night, there was a pillar of fire that gave them light and kept them warm everywhere they went. Verse 13, Thou camest down also upon Mount Sinai and spakest with them. Verse 14, He made known unto them the Holy Sabbath and the commandments, all these blessings of of knowing what it would be to live in, in a blessed place for Him. Verse 15, He gave them bread from heaven for their hunger. They got hunger and God literally made bread come down manna to where they could eat and they were never hungry. God had provided for all of their needs. He goes on to say how that He brought water out of a rock. He led them through a desert, but He provided water for them. He promised that they would go into a land that God blessed. Skip down to verse number 21 and then we'll come back. Verse 21 said, Yet, yea, forty years didst thou sustain them in the wilderness, so that they lacked nothing. Their clothes waxed not old, and their feet swelled not. Folks, they, the, the, what God's trying to say is I was giving. I was blessing because I'm good. I've been good to you as a people. I've been good to you as a nation. And I sustained, I gave you everything that you need. They lacked nothing. But there's, there's some caution that we find in these verses because the title of the message today is that God is good even when we're not good. Now, I don't know if any of you know what it means not to be good, but I want you to know if you do understand like me what it's like to fail and not to be good, that God is still good. And we're going to look at that real quickly here, if you would, today. Notice this cautionary thing here. All these things that God did for them, and we notice they lacked nothing, 
And they appreciated nothing. That's a bad combination. They lacked nothing, but yet they appreciated nothing. Look in verse 16 with me. But they and our fathers, notice this, they dealt proudly. They dealt proudly. They hardened their necks. And they, they hearkened not to thy commandments. Verse 17, And they refused to obey. Neither were they mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them. But hardened their necks in their rebellion. They appointed a captain to return them to their bondage. Man alive. I mean, now here's the thing. I don't know about you, but I can remember the first time I read about the history of Israel. And the first time I read about these people. And I had known a little bit, but I'm reading, and I'm reading specifically, I remember reading, boys, about when God brought them out of Egypt. And how that he was leading them across. And and he opened up the Red Sea. He defeated the army of Pharaoh. I mean, God was doing wonders for these people. He was working miraculously. It was awesome. He was providing them food. He was providing them water. But then I started reading, and it's like, then they're complaining. And they're murmuring against God. Pretty soon they start saying, man, it would have been better if we just died in Egypt. You ever read that? And you're just like, what's wrong with these people? And, and then some of them say, well, man, we just ought to return back to Egypt. And they're just complaining and murmuring and bellyaching the whole time. And you're like, these people are terrible. These people are awful. That's my first time reading it. My second time reading it, I'm like, oh. The first time I'm looking on with judgment when I read these things. The second time, it can be like looking in a mirror. And I can say, oh, mm, yeah, you know what? I like to complain a little bit too. And you know what? My mind starts going back sometimes. Isn't it awful? I mean, these people who had cried out to God, oh, God, deliver us. Get us out of this bondage. Then they escape it and they're like, you know, I don't know if it was all that bad, really. I mean, we could just, I wonder if we could go back. And you, you get where I'm coming from. Oh my gosh, the pit that I was in, the lost condition I was in, oh God save me, and then, then I'm saved and I'm rescued, then I start looking back and saying, man, that looks pretty fun. And I lose sight of the chains that are really involved in, in, this, in this sin and in this place where God brought me from. I, I lose sight of the taskmasters that were looking on the, to the children of Israel who waiting for them to let up in the least bit to strike their backs with a whip. I mean, the sun that was bearing and beating down on them as they labored out through, uh, through the days that they were slaves there in Egypt. We can forget about that. They forgot about that. See, I want to just notice a couple of things that unfortunately, if you'd be honest, we can sometimes identify with. Number one, we see that they fought. We see that they fought. The Bible says there again in verse 16, our fathers dealt proudly and hardened their necks and hearkened not to thy commandments. Verse 17, and they refused to obey, neither were mindful of thy wonders. But let's look at here first of all, they fought. They had an obstinate refusal. They refused to listen to God. And he goes on to say that God sent them messengers as you go on down through the chapter, but they ignored the messengers. They rebelled against authority. These folks were rebels. They were rebelling against God Almighty. 
and God's authority that he had put there. The Bible says they're stiff-necked. Stiff-necked is, is, is a good picture, really. Especially if you ever work with a horse, or it could be about any animal, really. But you, you just really imagine and picture that horse that you're trying to break, that you're trying to lead. And you, you grab a hold of that, that horse, and you try to grab its reins and pull it this way. But that horse does, mm, no, no thanks. Stiff-necked. And you're pulling on that, and you're trying, but no, they're stiff-necked. That's the picture. God's trying to guide. God's trying to lead. But these people stiffened their necks. Why? Because they were proud. The Bible says there, they dealt proudly. See, they said, I don't want to do that. God says, here's what I want you to do. I don't want to do that, God. Uh, I'm not comfortable doing that one. Nope. Don't want to do that. Uh, it doesn't make sense to me, God. You know, God's trying to, God's trying to gently lead. God's trying to gently guide us. Okay, Lord, uh, I'll walk with you, but where's this going? We, we often preach about surrendering our lives to God. Lord, I'll surrender, and I'll say I'll do anything, go anywhere, whatever you'd have me to do, but can you let me know what it is first? And that way I can decide. But God says, oh, no, 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 no. I mean, for, for God, I almost just imagine an excited parent saying it's a surprise. It's a surprise. I got something really good for you. Come on, come on, come on, come with me. Where are we going? Oh, no, don't worry about that. We're just, come. No. Not until you tell me where we're going. <laughs> uh, why not? Uh, because I don't trust you to follow you. I'm proud. See, he said they were proud. They were stiff-necked. I don't want to go that way, etc. Whatever it may be. All the while, I promise you this. God has one place He's trying to lead you. He's trying to lead you to good pastures. He's trying to lead you to a clear, fresh, beautiful, refreshing stream. That's where He's trying to lead you to. He's trying to lead you to still waters. He's trying to lead you to the abundant life. Come with me. Follow me. Mm. No. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to commit to what God, I'm not going to do what God says to do. And that's what these people did. They refused to humble themselves and they refused to trust Him. And tr listen, and I don't mean to make light of trusting God. I I'll share with you right now that it was, a, it was a real process for me. I wish everybody in this church would read and get familiar with Romans chapter 12. But through Romans 12, it starts off talking about that, you know, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. There's that picture of being a living sacrifice. God, here I am. Here's my mouth. Here's my ears. Here's my hands, my feet, my body, my life, my possessions, everything I own. I'm taking my hands off 100% and giving it to you. I want you to know that's not easy. It ought to be easy because we've got a good God. But I did not find that easy for myself. And I would come to the altar and I would pray repeatedly, Lord, help me to surrender. But you know what? I didn't want to let go. I did not want to seize control. I would say, God, just give me an idea where you'd have me to go. You know, I often tease and, you know, it's getting wintertime and I tease maybe too much about God calling me and sending me to South Dakota of all places. But I'm telling you, I would not have, I would not have it any differently. 
I would not have it any different than what God has because what God has is best. Now, if you would have told me 20 years ago, now which do you think is better? Uh, living in the frozen tundra? and uh, whatever, or do you think, uh, you know, a tropical island? And, and by the way, literally, I was praying about going, not just to go get a tan and swim and stuff, but I was literally praying about going to a Caribbean island. They really, they, they really do have gospel needs in the, some of those areas. Uh, which, would you, which would you think you would enjoy the most? Well, I'll tell you right now, I would probably, no, I would probably nothing. I would have said, yeah, take me to Anguilla. Take me to that island over there. But you know what God knew? God knew this was the place. God knew here that he had a fountain. God knew here that he had a pasture for me. God knew that here is where he had still waters for me. He knew this is where I had uh, friends that would become like family. He knew there was a church that would be uh, the greatest church I can imagine being a part of right here. Some of the greatest people I've ever met, friends, loved ones, people that love and care about each other. He knew the opportunities that we would have to touch so many more lives that aren't even really represented here today. He knew all of that. God knew that my family would be blessed here. God knew my, my, my family, God knew my daughters would find their husbands here, at least the older two so far. We've got two more, a son and a daughter to go. But he knew all of that. See, in other words, God knew better than me. But so these people, what they do? They fought against what God said. And we can subtly sometimes fight against God. It's not us waving our fist up in the air at God, but it's us saying, nah, I'm good. You know, Lord, I know this is what you're instructing me to do. I know you're instructing me to give. I know you're instructing me to get involved. I know you're instructing me to commit, to serve. Listen, did you know the church? God says the church is a body. And every member of a church, it represents a member of the body that helps it function properly. But some people don't want anything to do with that. Why? Because they don't want that commitment. But I'm telling you, you've got a gift to serve. And I'm telling you, you will find joy in serving and letting God work through your life to be a blessing to other people. But these people rebelled. They fought. Uh, but not only did they fight, but they also forgot. Notice what it says here in verse 17. It says, neither were mindful. They forgot. They did not recall his miracles and his purpose. Now, it does not mean, you say, did they actually forget that God opened up the Red Sea? Did they actually forget that God made a, a, a rock in the desert to bring a river out of it? Did they actually, they, they said, wait, what, what are you talking about? No, no, no. He's not saying that it was not, that they didn't remember it happening. He's just saying that it was just out of mind. The Bible reminds us repeatedly in the New Testament as well to remember. Remember. Remember is an act of the will. Remember is something we do on purpose. Oftentimes we choose to remember the hurts and the wrongs and the problems, and the shortcomings, and on down the list we go. But God says not. Nah, I'm not telling you to remember that. I'm telling you to remember my goodness. I'm telling you to remember my deliverance. I'm telling you to remember my guidance. Remember my provision. In other words, keep before you, God, you've been good. Have you ever had, in other words, have you ever had to remind yourself that God is good? That's kind of what we're doing this morning. Because we need to do that. Because we have a tendency to forget. We have a spiritual amnesia sometimes when we get knocked in the head by the trials of life 
We have a spiritual amnesia sometimes when we run face to face into the wall of troubles and trials and pain. So they forgot. They didn't recall what God had done for them. They had got it out of their minds. Here's what the Bible says in Lamentations. Uh, man, it seems like this was a little bit of a theme this morning. And it was in Veronica's song as well. This was actually quoted in her song. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21 says, This I recall to mind. This I recall to mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because His compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. We sung that too. Uh, the Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in Him. And I want you to know when Jeremiah recalled this, the, the name of the book is Lamentations. So he's broken hearted and sad because of the judgment that God has brought on his country and the judgment that God has brought on his life and on his people. But this I recall to mind. Therefore I have hope. Amen? Recall some things to mind. Uh, man, we, we, we don't need to rehearse all the negatives. Wow, preacher, have you seen the things about all that's going on in the country? Sure have. But this I recall to mind. Therefore have I hope. Amen. It is of the Lord's mercies that we're, we're, that we're not consumed. Because His compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in Him. Think about that. The Lord is my portion. Preacher, what's going to happen with the economics in this country? I don't know about that, but I know one thing. The Lord's my portion. Hey, we could lose everything tomorrow, but you want to know something? The Lord is my portion. And if I've got the Lord and you've got the Lord, let me tell you something. You've got something, amen? And you've got a lot. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in Him. So not only did they, for, not only did they fight, but they forgot. And not only did they forget, but they also forsook. I mentioned this already, but verse 17 went on to say, that they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion they appointed a captain to return to their bondage. So they went as far as to say, hey, let's get together and let's go back. That's what these people did. It's sad that a lot of people go back, isn't it? There's people who have fought, there's people who have forgot, and there's some people who have forsaken, that have gone back into the world, that have gone back to the old way of life, Gone back to the old way because there they think they will find comfort, but they forgot what it was like. They forsook. They forgot what it was like. They forgot what God did for them. All right, so we're getting through all that. We're talking about God. We, we were talking about all about what God did for them, but now let's look here about what did, how did God react to that. Continue in verse number 17, the last part of verse 17. But... Thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and forsookest them not. May I encourage you to get a little Bible knowledge and quit advertising your ignorance by talking about some division between some, old, some dichotomy between the Old Testament God and the New Testament God? May I encourage you before that ever utters out of your mouth that with this false dichotomy that you understand that God, He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. 
And right here in the Old Testament it says about this God that He's a God ready to pardon. He's gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger. And He's of great kindness. And listen to this. And He forsooketh them not. Man, think about that. What did God do? God pardoned them. He did not forsake them. I mean, think about that. After all that God did for these people, 16 times in this chapter at least, it talks about that God gave, God gave, God gave. 16 times. And on top of that, you want to talk about long-suffering, this chapter, if you start with Abram and go all the way to the people of Nehemiah's time, you're covering a period of 1,650 years of God putting up with these people. But he's ready to pardon. He's slow to anger. I mean, listen, so, the, so what does God do? God would have been just, you would think, to be just like, yeah, no. No. Uh, y'all have rebelled against me. Y'all have gone against me. You, you read on down through here, and you know, you, you know what you find out? The Bible says that they made, look at this in verse 18. Yay! When they had made them a molten calf. And said, this is thy God that brought thee up out of Egypt. And wrought great provocations. Imagine that. All God has done has been good to these people. God Almighty, the true and the living God. He reveals himself to them. He shows himself through miracles and wonders. And these people literally make a little calf of gold. And says, well there he is. There's the one that opened up the Red Sea. There's the one that defeated the army of the Egyptians. Seriously? I think God would have been totally justified to come down and just smack them, smack their faces off, honestly. Smack their faces off, break them like twigs, and just leave them flailing out in the desert until they died a slow, miserable death. But that's not what God did. You say, that's a twisted thing to say. But, uh, but I think that we can understand how in the world could these people do that? Oh my goodness, but he did not forsake them. He did not go against them. See, our nature today, folks, is bent towards sin. We are prone to wonder, and wonder we do. Have you ever, think about this, honestly, and you don't have to answer me out loud, but have you ever just wanted to walk away? Have you ever just wanted to just be done? Done with this life, done with this thing? Have you ever just wanted to to get off the grid and go live someplace, somewhere where nobody ever knows? You ever just wanted to go live homeless in California and be unrecognizable? No, not probably not that, but (laughs) that's how messed up I am, all right? Uh, But but no, we we, we think about that. I mean, God, God would justifiably say, fine. You know what? Fine. I don't care. You want to go that way? Go that way. You want to forget all I've done for you? I'm thinking about a testimony I heard recently. You know, God could have said to, I know, I know a young man, and there's this, this would fit several others also, I let you be raised in a good home. I've let you, all, and you went the other way. God could say, fine, just go. Go, 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 whatever. You don't want me, that's fine. But God doesn't do that. God says, oh, nope, I want you back. I still got a place for you to go. I still got a purpose for you. I've still got blessings for you. I'm not done with you. So God sends messengers and God sends his Holy Spirit as we'll see in a moment. I mean, how good is God? We want to go this other way. We complain and murmur while God's been so good to us. 
Where could we be had it not been for the grace of God versus where we are? I'm not saying life is easy, but what I am saying is that God is good. Even though life's not always good, people aren't always good. God, God would be justified just to say, you know what, go your own way. I've tried to tell you, I've been as good to you as I can possibly be, but if that's the way you want it, go ahead. Go ahead and go that way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just cut you off. I'm sick of you. Hey, it's a good thing we're not God, isn't it? Because that's probably what we would do after all. Yeah, we could do that with people now. Some, some of you, by the way, if you're these people that hold grudges and cut people off, you need to go over that business too. That is not of God. You need to have some mercy. You need to have some grace. And you need to have some forgiveness toward people. Uh, and that might be a good message toward, for the holidays. You need to have grace and forgiveness and, and not let bitterness take over your life. Don't let bitterness be a dish for Thanksgiving, amen? I mean, listen, have grace, have forgiveness in your heart because that's the way God is. Folks, He is compassionate. He's good. He's abounding in grace and mercy. He forgives our sins. He restores us. I love that. I'm going to read it one more time. But thou art a God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of a great kindness, and forsookest them not. Oh, he's a good God. So, so if you read down through here, notice, let's just go through these quickly. Look, look at verse 19. Yet. So this is, this is after they just worshipped a, a, a cow they made out of gold, a calf. Verse 19. Yet thou in thy manifold mercies, and there's a lot of yets, in this chapter. I'd, I'd encourage you to go through and find the Y-E-T's. Yet thou in thy manifold mercies forsookest them not in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud departed not from them by day to lead them in the way. Neither the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way wherein they should go. The people worshiping a golden calf. God said, yeah, I'm not leaving you. The people worshiping a golden calf. You want to know what God did while they were worshiping that golden calf? They still had a cloud over them. And you know what they had that night? They still had a fire in the camp that night. Think about that. He goes on to say, verse 20, Thou gavest also thy good spirit to instruct them, and withheldest not thy manna. <clears throat> they worshiped the calf. You want to know what came down the next day, just like every other day? Manna. See, God is good, good to us, amen? He's merciful. He's gracious through all of this. The Bible says He gave manna for their mouth and gave us them water for their thirst. Verse 21, Yea, forty years didst thou sustain them in the wilderness so that they lacked nothing. Listen to this. Their clothes waxed not old and their feet swelled not. Moreover, thou gavest them kingdoms and nations. Didst, thou didst divide them into corners, so they possessed the land of Sihon, the land of the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og of Bashan. Their children also multipliedest thou as the stars of heaven, and broughtest them into the land concerning which thou hadst promised to their fathers that they should go in to possess it. So the children went in and possessed the land and subdued us before the inhabitants of the land of the Canaanites and gave us them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land, what they might do with them as they would. Notice verse 25. And they took strong cities and a fat land and possessed houses full of goods, wells dig, vineyards, olive yards, and fruit trees in abundance. 
So they did eat and were filled because and became fat and delighted themselves in thy great goodness. <laughs> Isn't that good? These people that rebelled against God, these people that complained, these people that stiffened their necks and says, we're not going your way, God says, okay. Now, he, there, it's not that there wasn't any discipline involved, but he, that there was works and there was warnings, but he kept working with them. Kept giving them manna, kept leading them, kept guiding them. And yes, they had to stay in the wilderness 40 years. And, and we'll get to that point in just, as we close in just a moment. But what we see here is that God consistently and graciously was good to these people. See, God doesn't do what He could do. Folks, He still is good in our lives. Notice what the Bible says in Isaiah 61 verse 3. To appoint them that mourn in Zion... So they're mourning in Zion. And here's what God says. They're mourning for their sins. They're mourning for where they are. But to give them beauty for ashes. The oil of mourning, the oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they might be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that He might be glorified. So what I believe we see in this, at least the application I want to make, is this. That God is good concerning our nature. Like a parent with a child. Anybody got kids? If you got kids, let me tell you something about kids. Kids are a blessing. The Bible says that low children are in heritage of the Lord. Amen? And I mean, now listen, the, the fruit of the womb is His delight and, and His blessing. I mean, it's an inheritance. It's a joy. All right? Children are such a great blessing. But man, children can be a handful. From when they're a little tiny on up. They just have a nature. You have a little toddler. Man, they could drive you nuts. You love them like crazy, but just in their nature, they could drive you crazy. And, and, and listen, and you, you, they're, they're cute and they're precious, but I'm telling you, sometimes they're little terrorists. And let me give you some advice. This may be for the next point. But listen, you've got to learn in not to give in. Listen, never negotiate with the terrorist. That's good parenting advice right there. Never negotiate with the terrorist. Um, but it, it's crazy how, but they're a blessing. But so what, but the picture is this. That's the way God is dealing with Israel. He's dealing with them as a patient parent would deal with their children. But it goes on. So, so think about this. God was good to them. Again, God had blessed them. But we notice something else here. Not, not only did they, uh, he, he, was a, he was a merciful and, and gracious father in regards to parenting them like a child, but God is also merciful concerning our neglect. He's, he's merciful concerning our nature that I mentioned earlier. We all have a sinful nature that wants to go against God. If you're saved, you have a new nature also that wants to go for God and in God's direction. There's a constant battle there. But God is merciful concerning our nature, but He's also merciful concerning our neglect. And what I mean by that is this. When we willingly and knowingly turn our backs on God, I want to say that even in those cases, God's goodness is manifested even in our disobedience. Let me ask you this. How many times have you blown it? This morning. Hey, does anybody know spiritual warfare on a Sunday morning is real? 
I mean, son, you're trying to get out of the house and, and, and maybe it's a husband and a wife and the wife's taking forever to get... We're going to be late! Just give me a minute. I've already given you a minute. You know, get in the car and, 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 and man, you've got that sucker in reverse and the wife's, you know, heel gets knocked off her shoe in the driveway and her leg gets closed in the door. In the door. I tell you, you, and next thing you know, you're arguing all the way to church. And, uh, and, and, and the kids are screaming and the kids are, I thought you were getting the, no, you were the one that was supposed, what is she wearing, you know? And they come to church looking like a ragamuffin and, and everybody's mad at each other. Man, I'm telling you, spiritual warfare on Sunday mornings is a real thing. For couples, for individuals, whatever it might be. So how many times have you blown it today? How many times have you blown it in general uh, man, I tell you, we have a tendency to mess it up. But even then, God is good. Notice what it says here quickly. God, even though they blew it, here's what God did in verse 20. The Bible says He sent His Spirit to instruct them. It says, Thou gave us also Thy good Spirit to instruct them. Not only that, He gives the Spirit to instruct, He gives provisions to sustain. Verse 21 says, Yea, forty years didst thou sustain them. And then not only that, he gave them victory to encourage them. In verse 24, he subdued the Egyptians and he subdued the Canaanites before them. God was good and they delighted in his goodness. Notice what the Bible says again in verse 25. And they took strong cities and a fat land and possessed houses full of, all full of goods, wells dig, vineyards and olive yards and fruit trees in abundance. So they did eat and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in thy great goodness. They delighted in, the, in His goodness. So this could just be the end of the story. God was so good to us to bring this to this place, but we blew it. But God brought us back. Man, and He did. He sent His Spirit, and He worked in our lives, and man, He's good. So praise the Lord, God's good now. So glad He's so merciful to us. And, and we just say, well, there we go. And so, so now we're done with all this getting out of line with God business, right? We're done with refusing and rebelling against God. But in our own experience, we know better, don't we? At the conclusion of this service, we're going to have a time of prayer. And somebody's going to say, Lord, I'm coming home. I'm getting my heart right. I'm getting this stuff fixed. And God forgives. And it's like, woohoo. Well, lunchtime rolls around but by the time we get down to exit four. Uh, and it's, uh, okay, Lord, not doing so good here. I've kind of messed up again already. You walk in the house and, and right away something happens. And then we say, well, Lord, uh, all right, well, God, God just help me to get, get the rest of my day, you know, and, 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 and just get back on track here. Okay, Lord, I'm getting it back. I'm doing good. Well, then dinner time rolls around. And some bad attitude rolls again. And, and something gets said again. And some, something comes up. And my point is, man, we have a tendency to fall. See, because as we, as we approach Thanksgiving, a couple of the things that it said that fought against them is they forgot God's blessings. But not only did they forget God's blessings, what about when they got His blessings? Uh, notice what it says here again at the last part of verse 25. 
It says that they delighted themselves in thy great goodness. That's good. Really good. But here's the problem. They delighted themselves in God's goodness, but they did not delight themselves in the Lord. See, that's why we get so mixed up sometimes. We're good and God's good when everything's good. Because we're delight ourselves in His goodness. Man, yeah, this is great. Then something's not good, then we're not good. And we go up and down. In other words, we're only good if our circumstances are good. We're only good when we're delighting ourselves in His blessings. But what we need to learn to do is to, de to delight ourselves, not, in, not just in the blessings of the Lord, but in the Lord of the blessings. That's what these people did. They, listen, it says they became fat. They, they got to go to a fat land. I'm just going to read the Bible here, okay? This ain't politically correct in 2022, and I think it changes per week now what's politically correct. But I'm just going to read what the Bible says. The Bible says they got to go to a fat land, and it says there in verse number 25 that they became a fat people. Uh, it just means nourished and satisfied. But here's the thing. It led to their downfall. In Deuteronomy 32, 15, the Bible says, But Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxen fat. Thou art grown thick. Thou art covered with fatness. Then he forsook God which made him and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. In other words, sometimes I'm not talking, I'm not body shaming here by any stretch of the imagination. But what he's talking about here is the idea of getting so, getting so immersed in all of God's blessings that we forget God. That we forget how blessed we are. We forget that we don't deserve all this that we have. That's what's being talked about here. Thomas Carlyle said, For every 100 men who can stand adversity, there is only one who can stand prosperity. Proverbs 30, there's a prayer there. Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9, Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and still and take the name of my God in vain. They forgot and they fought again and again. But notice this here quickly uh, in, in verse 27. Uh, oh, let's look at verse 26 next. So they, they delighted in God's goodness. Verse 26, Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against thee and cast thy law behind their backs and slew the prophets which testified against them to turn them to thee, and they wrought great provocations. Therefore thou deliveredest them into the hand of their enemies, who vexed them, and in the time of their trouble, when they cried unto thee. Now I just got to pause right there and say this. What could be said there? This is going on over and over again. And when they cried unto thee, when they said, Oh Lord! Again, I just think, what could, that, what could that say right there? But you know what it does say right there? When they cried unto thee, thou heardest it from heaven. And according to thy manifold mercies, thou gavest them saviors. These are the judges who saved them out of the hand of their enemies. God delivered them. God heard their cry. I want you to know that God is like, God is pictured in the father of the prodigal son. Who, whenever he saw his son a great way off, went running unto him. Amen? 
See, don't, don't you, uh, see, the devil will lie to you and say because of all this sin and messing up that you do, God's in heaven just like, nah, thanks. You blew it way too many times. I'm, I'm, just, I'm honestly just tired of it. Tired of you. You're a big fat failure. You're a lemon. You're just, there's just something wrong with you inherently that just will not be fixed. Just, just stay away. Sure, I'll give you a little blessing here and there, but I really don't want you. That's a lie straight out of hell. Because I want you to know our God is a God of manifold mercy. And our God, it doesn't matter. Let me ask you this. Have you worshipped a golden calf lately? Have you forsaken him for these idols lately? Maybe you have. But even if that's the case, one thing I can say to you is he'll come running after you like the prodigal son. Amen. He loves you today. It's because of his goodness that you're here right now. It's because of your goodness that you're hearing this message right now. Because, and this message is coming from a guy who, just like these people, has messed up repeatedly. But yet he's merciful and he's gracious to call us back to himself. Oh, my friend, listen. He has grace on us. Man, they cried and God came back to them. He was merciful. Man, if God was not merciful, we'd be in deep trouble. I'm going to try to close here quickly with this. He's a good father. His patient correction, because the Bible says in verse 27, Thou deliverest them unto the hand of their enemies. I don't have time for this message today, but there was an amazing thing when God called Nebuchadnezzar his servant. A wicked, heathen, more wicked and ungodly than any ruler that we've ever known, Nebuchadnezzar. God said, that's my servant. I'm raising him up for what purpose? To judge the people. To judge this nation. Wow. Well, preacher, I thought you said that God was loving. I thought you said his mercy is great. See, we live in a time where people have a hard time. Our generation struggles to connect goodness with discipline. See, we have this attitude, if you love me, you would allow me to do as I please type of attitude. If, if we really loved our toddlers... When they got into the chemicals under the sink, well, we would never raise our voices to them. And we'd never go in there and smack that hand. Wow, what kind of love is that? I mean, you used to want to preach, that's stupid. It is stupid. But I'm telling you, it's no different than with, with what God tries to do with us. We, we, we live in a generation, I mean, uh, to, where, uh, to where, you know, and, and I'm telling you, some of it goes back to Freudian psychology, which is connected to Marxism and all this other business, by the way. People say they don't use Freudian psychology, but I'm telling you, our whole society is inundated with it. It goes kind of like this. Little Billy grabs a saw. And he's in, the, he's in the kitchen and he's trying to saw the leg off the kitchen table. Well, Freudian psychology says, oh, well, we need to get the, deer, the, the little deer a sharper saw so that he doesn't get frustrated. Our society has a hard time connecting discipline. I'm not talking about abuse here, but I'm talking about discipline with love, correction with love. We don't, I mean, we, 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 we get on, we, we correct a child if they're playing with matches. We correct a child if they're trying to stick a fork into an outlet. If children don't learn to obey and submit to authority at home, they will generally not submit to authority outside the home. So when we, for a parent to correct their children, not only do we honor God, but also we do a great service to our children and to the whole of society. 
If a, if, if, if a child's doing something to, that's going to be ultimately harm them and be harmful to themselves, it would be a terrible parent. You know, I, I, I've mentioned before, and I, I wonder if there's anybody else like me, my parents let me get away with a lot as compared to maybe some other parents. But mostly my parents just didn't keep tabs on me. So they didn't know a lot of what I was doing. Otherwise, I probably would have got in a little bit more trouble if they knew all that I was doing as a teenager. But I remember, I remember in, just in middle school, in 7th, 8th grade, I remember a kid by the name of Brian. I remember he had a cool mom. He had this cool mom, you know, because, man, you could, you could be in middle school and go over there and drink and party and do drugs. Man, that, you talk about a good mom. That's great. Well, I since learned that that's not a good mom. That's not a good mom. Uh, listen, because a loving father, a loving parent will correct these things in their child's life. And let me tell you something. God's chastening is as much an evidence of His love as His bountiful supply for our needs. Because somebody says, I mean, you think about this. Here I am as God's child, and I begin to say, you know what? Egypt is looking pretty good to me. I think I'm going to go back there. You know, I kind of miss those drugs. I kind of miss living uh, crazy like that. And God the whole time is a loving, wise father that's like, there's destruction there. There's absolute misery there. So as a good father, he's saying, son, I don't want you to go that way. He corrects, He disciplines, He chastens. He, he, he works in our lives to try to get us back to a place because I promise you, God wants to bless you. He wants you to live the abundant life. But you can't live the abundant life and the sinful life at the same time. You can't live in Canaan's land and Egypt at the same time. God tries to, He delivered you from that. And if you're not delivered you from that, He wants to deliver you from that. Notice what the Bible says here quickly in verse 31. Nevertheless, for thy great mercy's sake, thou didst not utterly consume them, nor forsake them. For thou art a gracious and merciful God. Then skip down with me, if you would, to verse number 33, where the Bible says, How be it thou, and this is the title of the message, isn't it? How be it thou art just in all that thou hast brought upon us? For thou hast done right, but we have done wickedly. In other words, God is good even when we're not. He continues to be merciful. He continues to, to His presence to be with us. He, consider, he, he continues to allow the goodness of God to come into our lives. The Bible says, I mentioned it last week, Romans chapter 2, the goodness of God leads thee to repentance. He's good in His mercy, but He's also good in His discipline. He's good when He says, Son, I love you too much to let you go there. I know you don't understand it. I know you don't appreciate it. But I love you too much for that. And I'm going to... We've got free will, but there's consequences there. I want you to be in a place of blessing. And let me tell you something here. Lastly, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, your greatest need is to know that no matter what you've done, where you've been, no matter what, there's a God in heaven. He's the one who made you. He loves you. He cares about you. He's allowed you to be in a place like this today to where you could hear about His great love and mercy. You say, I'm not sure that He loves me, preacher. Well, let me challenge you with something. Would you please, for a moment, picture the cross with me? Jesus went to the cross because and for you. 
He took all of your sin that you've ever committed, that you ever will commit. Talking about all this rebellion business that we get into. He's taken all that upon himself. He shed his blood. He gave his life for you. He died on the cross and he rose again the third day so that you might be put right in the sight of God. He wants to give you eternal life. He wants to give you the abundant life. But what you must do is humbly come to Him. Trust Him today as your Lord and your Savior. As Miss Barb comes to play, I just ask you today, as we all stand and we'll be dismissed in just a moment, but folks, I want you to know that God is good even when you're not. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior today, I want to ask you right now, would you please pray with me? Would you please pray from your heart and say, Dear Lord, I do admit to you today that I am a sinner. Lord, and I pray that you'll forgive me of my sins. Lord, I pray you'll cleanse me. I pray that you'll be my Lord and Savior today. Come into my life, Lord. I believe on you today. Boy, I'm telling you with a prayer from your heart like that today, God can save you. Child of God, I just want to encourage you that God's good. You may have wandered away. Let me tell you something. God's still good. He's still merciful. He's a preacher. I'm, I'm almost embarrassed to try to come back again. I'm almost embarrassed to come back to God and say, Lord, it's me again. Oh, no. Don't you dare be. Because I'm telling you, He's ready to run. He's ready to run towards you. You know how much He loves you? He's crazy about you. He wants nothing more than to get you back in the place of blessing and fellowship. He misses that with you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for your greatness. I thank you for your goodness. God, I don't know the hearts of everyone here, Lord, but you do. And I pray if there's anybody here today that's not saved, God, I pray that they'll get that taken care of today. God, you know, Lord, sometimes we pray about that child of God that's away from God. We may have a certain picture of what that looks like, but really it looks like just about all of us. Because, God, it's not what we see on the outside. You know our hearts, and you know that we wander, and you know that we stray. But I'm glad that you're good. I'm glad that you're gracious. I'm glad that you're forgiving, Lord. We love you, and we thank you for your great love today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.